0: Back in college, my college roommate and his long-term girlfriend broke up. If you've ever read the book of Job, you'll know that Job has these friends that just are unable to sit with their friend while he's sad. And that was basically me and my college roommates when this happened. And so uh, we decided that our buddy who was really sad that he needed closure. Now, we didn't actually talk to anybody who knows anything about closure and, and how you actually come across closure, find such a thing, we just decided we would take matters into our own hands. So we loaded up our buddy in the truck, and on our way out the door, we grabbed two things. We grabbed a scrapbook that she had given him that was full of hundreds of photos chronicling their years of love since high school. And this is before digital photography, so these pictures don't exist anywhere but this scrapbook. And then we grabbed the largest firecracker we had, And we took our friend out to this grove of trees on the edge of town and we stuffed that firecracker inside the scrapbook and we duct taped it shut and then we lit it and we blew that thing up. We also almost blew ourselves up. And two things I remember uh, from that is the explosion throwing us back to the ground with our backs in the sand and then the second thing is looking up and seeing these hundreds of scraps of photos fluttering through the air, burning and singed and falling to the ground. My friends and I, we kind of laughed this insecure laugh because we knew we had just cheated death. And we looked at our friend, and he was not laughing. And these quiet tears just kind of rolled down his cheeks. Months later, they got back together. And I um, <clears throat> actually got married, <laughs> and she still has not forgiven us for the scrapbook. Um, <clears throat> As people have asked me how I'm doing over the last week, the memory that comes to mind is that moment of looking at my friend and seeing the tears quietly rolling down his cheeks beneath that grove of trees. If you weren't here last week, then I have the unfortunate responsibility of telling you that Chris Altrock, our senior preaching minister of 21 years, resigned last week to move on to other ministries with his family. And as I think about that, I'm sad. For the record, we're not going to blow up the scrapbook. That's not actually how you get Closure. Here's what we're going to do on February 23rd, two Sundays from now. We're going to have a reception for Chris and Kendra out in our commons from 1 to 3 in the afternoon. And here's what I want you to do I want you to bring the photos, I want you to bring the memories, I want you to share it with them, hug their necks, and tell them what they have meant to you for the last 21 years. That's what we're going to do. And as I think about you all, I know that for you all and for myself, Chris was our minister. For many of you, he was a friend. And for me, he's like a brother. We worked side by side for eight years, side by side. And I have this memory of standing with Chris on the Great Wall of China, which I never thought I'd be on the Great Wall of China. We're on the top of these mountains outside Beijing with Chris and a couple of others, praying that God would raise up missionaries to send to that country to preach the Word of God. And by God's grace, we now have missionaries doing that very thing in China, baptizing and preaching the Word. I remember late One night I get a call from Chris, it's about 10 p.m. He says, Eric, I need you to meet me at the house of a Highland family that we loved a lot. We had just learned that somebody in that family that was a brother to us had passed away unexpectedly. And we gathered in that living room together with that family and some other Highlanders. I'll never forget Chris, Chris saying, let's pray. We all bow our heads to pray and it's just Quiet. And I look over at Chris and I realize he's weeping and he can't start the prayer. And by God's grace, he's able to pull himself together and he begins this prayer. It's one of the most beautiful prayers of healing I've ever heard. And then you don't know this because nobody, nobody knows this, but for the last eight years, every Sunday morning, Chris and I exchange text messages. If I'm preaching, Chris texts me before the sun comes up and he tells me that he's praying for me and the words that I'm gonna to bring to the congregation. And if Chris is preaching, I text him, usually after the sun has come up, and I tell him <laughs> that I'm praying for him. You know who texted me this morning? Chris. And Chris is in Overland Park, Kansas. He's preaching this morning there, and I texted him back after the sun had risen, and I told him, and I'm praying for you, brother. You know, as we think about those memories it's possible that we might be discouraged. I know I am. I'm really excited for him and what his family is going to be moving on towards these new seasons of ministry. And I'm excited for things that are going to be happening at this church in our future. I believe in this church. And yet there is this, this sense of discouragement for me personally as I think about not doing ministry with Chris at my side every day. And so I've been turning back to the Word of God, and we're in this this series in Ephesians, and I was struck the other day when I was looking at Ephesians 3, verse 13, when Paul talks about congregational discouragement. He says this, he says, I ask you, therefore, he's talking, it's plural, it's to a congregation. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. You know, he places our discouragement next to God's glory. And one of those things is so much greater than the other. And he's not, he's not pretending we're not discouraged, and he's not pretending that he can fix our discouragement. And I'm not going to do that either. What Paul models is exactly what we need to do in this moment. He turns to the Father in prayer in his moment of discouragement. And this is what we read in the very next verse. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's important to read this prayer that we've heard a thousand times in the context of, Discouragement. This moment of possible discouragement. What Paul does in that moment is he runs to the Father. And here we have this image of Paul falling then before the Father, kneeling before him, which is this posture of submission and reverence. Lord, I want your will to be done on heaven and as it is, or in heaven, sorry, on earth as it is in heaven. And he says this, this is the reason. He says, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from God. Uh, There's this scene in the beginning of the Gospels when Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, names Jesus. Remember, the angel visits Joseph and instructs him to name Jesus. It's this really beautiful scene because Joseph is adopting Jesus as his own because in that culture, the father has the right to name the child that's his. (laughs) So what's Paul saying when he says every family, every church is what he's talking about, in heaven and on earth derives its name from God? Well, this is what he's saying. He's saying this church is not Chris's church. And he's saying this church is not and never will be Eric's church. And this is not the elder's church, and this is not your church. This is God's church. This place, this community belongs to him. He called us into existence. He has named us. We are his, right? You know, Paul, he once planted this church in Corinth. And everybody loved Paul in Corinth. He did a great ministry there. He got this church going. But then Paul moves on to another ministry. And this other minister, Apollos, moves into Corinth. And as soon as that happens, everybody starts comparing Paul and Apollos. And some want Paul back. Some really like this new guy, Apollos. Some want this totally other guy, Peter, Cephas. And this is what they say. They say, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. then Paul says, what? After all is Apollos. And what's Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Listen, Chris is a tremendous minister, and he has been for 21 years at this church, and he will continue to be. But let me tell you, if your hope was in Chris, your hope was misplaced. And if your hope for this church now is in me or in someone else, your hope is misplaced because our hope is in the Lord. We, Chris and myself, we're only servants. You, you're only a servant who has a job to do. We plant and we tend and we water this garden, but it is God that makes things grow. You know, Scripture has this really hard word for ministers like myself in a moment like that, like this, and the word is this, Eric, you are nothing. God says to me, Eric, I can do this with you or I can do this Without you, but I'm gonna make this thing grow because this is mine. It is not yours. I can't tell you what a relief that has been to me this week. That this place belongs to him and he's making it grow. Uh, Noble's grandmother sent him $5 for his six year old birthday last week, and so he went to Home Depot and he bought a little succulent plant. And, um, We put the plant on our windowsill above our, our kitchen sink that looks out over our backyard. And we've been doing everything we can to keep that thing from dying and um, watering it, putting this little lamp on it, trying to get this thing to, to not die. And the great irony is, you look out those windows, and there are these five giant oak trees. They're probably 60 or 70 years old, 100 feet tall. And every day they've got all the sunshine and rain and air they need, right? Because God is making those things grow. And what he is capable, if so what He is capable of is so much greater than what I am capable of. Praise God for that. <clears throat> if you go back to Ephesians in this prayer, Paul goes on, and he says that our identity as a church, our strength as a church, our power, And our faith in this family comes from him. Look look at what he says in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I want to talk about that phrase, inner being, for just a moment. Because he's not talking about what I think we tend to think he's talking about. So you and I are made up of two things. We have a body and we have a soul or an inner being. But Paul is not talking about you individually and your inner being in this passage. He's talking about you, plural, and the inner being of our church. And that's something you know to be true, that this church has a spirit that binds us together. You know it to be true, even if it's not something you think about often. What Paul says is that at a church, what he's doing is he's taking two groups, taking a bunch of different people and turning them into one thing, one spirit. He says this, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. He's describing a spiritual reality that happens at a church when we take two and many more than two and we bring them together. And out of that many is one, this one spiritual reality that connects us to one another. It's this invisible connective tissue at Highland. And when you join our church, you, you are, you're called up into that connective fabric, that tissue you, you are bound to us and to that spirit. And at Highland, we might say our spirit or our inner being is, you know, it's courageous. It's not legalistic. It's gracious. It's compassionate. It's generous. Like you could describe the personality of this church with adjectives like that. And when you join this church, you are, you are called up into those things. But it's a moment like this where our inner being could be discouraged, Our spirit could be discouraged because it's not just Chris who's moving on. It's Kendra, his wife, who worked in our nursery for years, holding babies, your babies. Nursery. Think about Jordan, his daughter, who grew up, was a leader in our youth group, worked in our children's ministry. Think about Jacob, who was born at this church and now is about to go off to college. And those memories are sweet. And to think of them might give us sadness, sadness and our inner being. So that's why what Paul says next is so important. Let's look. This is what he says about our our inner being. He says, I pray that you, plural, your inner being, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You remember that parable that Jesus tells about a farmer who's scattering seed on different kinds of soil? Some of the soil is really rocky, some of it's dry, some of it's too shallow, but there is this good soil. When the seed falls on good soil, it takes root and it grows by the grace and power of God. And the point there is that the seed, you and I, even Highland Church, that we are nothing. What matters is the soil that God plants us in. And what we read here is that the soil that we have been planted in as a congregation is the love of Christ. And I'll tell you, that's what drew Lindsay and I to this church when we first came. We have experienced again and again the love of Christ in this place. I remember our our baby shower when we had our first son. It was just incredibly gracious and generous. I think about when Lindsay's dad had his accident, and we got cards and notes and phone calls from you all every day single day I think about this week when so many of you have reached out to me to tell me you're praying for me I was with a brother here at Highland who was in an accident a couple years ago he told me that he has over 250 cards from Highlanders telling him they're thinking about him we are nothing but the soil we're planted in matters a great deal And my prayer in this moment is that we would recognize that God has been working this soil by the love of His Son, Christ, for 90 years. And He is not going to abandon us now. i told you this story about a preacher, a great preacher from New York, told the story of two ladies, older ladies in his church, who came to him and told him that we, we think God is telling us to tell you But you need to pray for a greater understanding of God's love. He said, well, you know, I'm a preacher. I think i got a pretty good understanding of God's love. Okay, I'll, I'll pray for that. He said he began to pray that he would understand God's love more and more. And what he realized in praying that was that for years he had been going to this river of God's love and taking cupfuls or bucketfuls of that love back to his congregation. When he began to pray for a greater understanding of God's love, it was like a flash flood, like a tidal wave that overwhelmed him until he had to say, Lord, stay your hand. I can handle no more of your love. My prayer in this moment is that God would overwhelm us with his love, that he would bind us together, that he would draw us together, that he would build in us here this place where he would dwell by his spirit. And we would have to say, God, stay your hand. We cannot handle anymore." of your love. And then let's look at what Paul says next. He says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Those of you who have been at Highland for a number of years know that we used this passage before I was even here when we were in the process of relocating, of of buying this space, building this facility. We prayed that God would do more than we could ask or imagine. And the truth is, and those of you who were here at that time know, it was a really hard season. Anytime a church goes through a significant transition like that, discouragement is Is likely and sure enough there was significant discouragement for us at that time but we went to God and we prayed that God would do more than we could ask or imagine and look around you right now look around you at all the people who are not part of this church then who are now here who are now growing closer to God why because God is capable of doing immeasurably more than we ask or imagine I mean look around you you are the proof that God did not abandon us in that moment, Because this is his church and he is building something here. It's not just something for our sakes. He is building something for the world's sake. He is joining us together. He is binding us together. He is building us up so that we stand out in Memphis and in the world and that when the world sees us united in the bond of the spirit, they will say, I wanna be a part of, Of that because there must be a God and He is doing something there. You know God is building us up by His power for His purposes because we belong to Him and He is the one who makes things grow and I'll tell you when we begin to think that we are making this thing grow and preachers are the worst offenders in that category and when we begin to think that we are making this thing grow, we are doomed before we start. But if we turn to God in this moment, I guarantee you, God will do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I'm reminded of the start of the church not the start of this church, the start of the church. I know some churches of Christ have a cornerstone that says, you know, this church built in 1952, this church really built in AD 33. Uh, That's not an entirely fair representation of our history. (laughs) But I think about the start of the church. And you had this group that came together. We were we're told they had everything in common and they came together in one place. And Jesus had just left. There was all kinds of discouragement and uncertainty about what was to come next because he was gone. And they began to pray. And what we're told is that the Spirit of God came into that place and shook that place. And that this heavenly fire filled the room until that room was aglow with the glory of God. And everyone who was gathered there began to feel the Spirit so tangibly that they spoke in languages they didn't know only a moment before. And it's as if the whole world was watching, people from every tribe and nation, and they saw what God was doing in that place among that group of people. And they believed and they were convicted and they gave themselves to that God, 3,000 that day. Church, I believe that God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine right here. If we will turn to him, having everything in common, turn to the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, if we will be bound together by Him in this moment and look to the Father, I believe that God in this place will do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And I pray that He will do that according to His power that is at work within us. So to Him be glory in the church throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. If you're not part of a church, you may to be part of our church this morning. I'd love to receive you. I'd love to baptize you behind me. If you'd like prayer, let me pray for you in the back. We also have shepherds there who will pray for you. Let's sing to the one who deserves all glory. Amen. This is my Father's will, and to my listening